Welcome back to another week of Raise Your Voice, a podcast developed to inspire and connect people that share a similar story to yours. Or maybe it gives you an avenue to share your story with someone you love. I heard a story from a friend who took last episode, the marriage and mental health episode I did with my husband, Jason, and sent it to her husband as a peek into what it might be like to live with someone who lives with mental illness. I will forever be grateful for Jason's openness and vulnerability in that episode. And it really got me thinking about the tools that we can give each other, we can teach each other, and we can lead by example utilizing those tools to teach the little people that surround us. I have a message for you today, episode five, and I'm just going to share from my heart really what the past few episodes and the next two episodes after this one have really taught me and allowed me to lean in to my story, but not fully taking the credit or blame for that story. I recently heard a new song and it is called My Story, Your Glory. And I posted the lyrics on Facebook because it really took me into a new way of thinking about what I've lived through, what I've accomplished, the things that I've done that I'm proud of, the things that I've done that I regret, the choices I've made that have enhanced my life, and the ones that have had held me back from things that I was really trying to do. For episode five, you're going to just hear tools, tips, and tricks to get through the day, to help others get through the day, and just to lean into your purpose, put on your heart by God a little bit more. Welcome to episode five. I love when we talk about people's purpose and specifically when we say our purpose is this and my purpose is this because it's very easy to assume you know your purpose and just fully go into it. Whereas when it's a purpose put on your heart from God, the one who created you, who knitted you in the womb and created every single bone in your body and hair on your head, it's when we actually step into that purpose and that could take a life-altering event. It could take a death in the family. It could take losing a parent, a child. It could take a life-altering illness. For me, it was a mental health crisis amidst my journey with mental health. That took me about a year. I always tell people it was a snap, like over overnight, I was different. That's not true. Overnight, I valued my life differently. I was grateful to be here differently. But it took me over a year 
to actually acknowledge that it might be part of my purpose to use my unapologetic voice to help others lean into their mental health journey and perhaps crisis and be okay with it. For a year, if you've listened to the episodes previous to this, my husband and I wouldn't even say the word suicide in our house because it was very triggering. It still isn't a great word. That's like a happy thing, but I can say suicide in our home and Jason and I can talk about it and I have friends who will ask me about it and it's okay. I don't feel guilt, shame, anger, despair. I don't feel any of those feelings other than gratitude for experiencing something that a small part, a seemingly small part of the world, faces. That's where I really believe my purpose was set in because I was asked, (laughs) I was asked that same year um, in November of 2020 to speak. And I was like, absolutely not. But I was able to speak to middle schoolers and high schoolers. And for me to speak out to middle schoolers and high schoolers about my story before anyone in my family really knew, honestly, six months before most of my family knew, I was on a stage speaking about it. And I spoke for 15 minutes about my life, the day that it happened, who was there to help me, and the days that followed. I finished speaking and I looked up from my notes and there was a line formed at the bottom of the stage. There was a line of middle schoolers and high schoolers who needed a hug for themselves or felt like they had a hug to give me. The first person in line was a former student of mine. I embraced her and I held on so tight until she let go because in a different way, I was there for her. I was her fifth grade teacher. I taught her reading and writing and math and all the things. But in that short 15 minutes, I got to teach her that she's worth living. She is worth living to tomorrow because she's had a purpose set on her way bigger than she realizes at the age of 16. Think back to when you were 16. What was going through your mind? Can you even remember? It's hard to reflect and think back. How did I feel when this happened and I was 16? How did I feel when this happened and I was 21? How did this make me feel when I was 25? There are those little tiny events in life. For instance, the speaking event. That put a little tally mark next to Kiesta's purpose. Maybe this is it. Again, that was about six months into this journey of mine and I really think it took another six months for Jason and I to just decompress and talk about it and think about all the things 
that occurred. And then May of 2021 was when I decided to start sharing even louder. I posted a blog post about my story and the responses were very um, different. The range was vast. There was people that reached out and said, I'm so sorry you're going through this. How can I help you? How can I be there for you? What could I have done differently for you? There are people that just say thank you for sharing your story. I've been there too. And then there are a few people who decided to just not support. And honestly make it about them. Here's what I've learned. If someone is trying to make your story about them, they understand your story. They might need a little bit more help. And they don't know how to ask for the help. So whereas I used to view that as, you're making my story about you, give me a break. I've grown. Yeah, it's only been another year and a half here. To learn that if you are comparing your story to mine, then your story runs deep. And you should share it. Whether that's sharing it with your husband, your wife, your parents, writing a blog post, starting a podcast. I mean, you can go as little or as big as you want. But that's what I want to talk about today is when you really find the purpose of your life. Or whether you struggle with mental health or not. That's something that we can and will continue to learn more about as we potentially affect other people. I wanted to read the definition of mental health from the CDC. They state mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also determines how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. That's straight up from the CDC, talking about mental health. But it's not just your mind. It's the whole body. So I'm going to be sharing with you five different tools that I use on a daily basis to help me get through every single day. I'm going to start out with the first tool that I use because it's the one I use most often. It's free and it's always available. And I'm talking about prayer. And as funny as that sounds, I used to actually be a person who would giggle at that. Oh, sure. Give it to God, they would say. Sort of laugh at that. But then I look at Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. Those are really profound words that are easy to forget to act on especially when we're in a moment of despair or anxiety or just feeling like we don't have another option 
And the prayer that I actually lean onto the most is the simplest prayer ever. It's Jesus be near. And I learned that from a person at church and she actually sings in the worship band. And when she was introducing a new song, she talked about how this was just a simple prayer that she used Jesus be near when she felt overwhelmed or out of control and just needed that extra help. So that's something that I lean into a lot is just the fact that we forget what we go through on a daily basis and the trials and tribulations that we overcome or put into our path for a reason. And we can either view it as something we have to get through or something we get to overcome. And when we overcome something in our life, whether it's an illness, a mental illness, a physical illness, whether it's losing a loved one, whatever it is in your life, all you need to do is speak out your vulnerability to God, even if he is the only person you want to tell. And then surrender the control of that situation because you can't get through every single day by yourself. It's just not possible. Whether you need other humans or you lean into God and Jesus and whatever your faith background is. I came from talking about the universe, quote unquote universe, as like Gabby Bernstein would call it, to actually believing that Jesus is who I'm supposed to follow. And that's why that's my number one tool. Easy, free, always available. And that to me makes sense. So when you need to, just say the words, Jesus, be near. The second thing that I would say I lean into the most is communicating. And while that seems like an obvious tool, there's two types of communication. So this kind of doubles as two and three. Because internal communication for me means my friends and my family. I talk to them about the things that I need to get off of my chest or maybe help me see the other side of things or get a new perspective or honestly just a vent. And I have a small circle of people around me who are always there to do that, be there to listen when I need them, answer the phone, send a message just saying, hey, we missed you today. Those people were intentionally put into my life and I make sure to hold a hard boundary with people who don't act that way. Sometimes that makes me seem rude, mean, whatever the words are. There are so many words, but at the end of the day, I'm here to be there, the best wife, mom, woman I can be, to live out my purpose in life. Making sure that I communicate with people that don't care or aren't authentically there for me actually hurts me in the end. Internal communication is huge. And again, that's just internal within your within your circle. Friends, family, coworkers, those that you can trust to not judge you, to help you no matter what you need. I guess unless it's like, can you help me bury this body? Maybe change your mind about that. 
that goes back to the intentional part of making sure you have the right people in your circle and the right people available. The second form of communication would be counseling, therapy. Going to talk to someone else outside of your situation, outside of your life, who maybe doesn't know the story, who doesn't have the background that your family and your friends do. Of course, you talk through them, but they don't have that preconceived notion of who you are, what you've done, and what they think about you. And they're a trained professional to be there to listen and help you through it. The benefits of counseling is improving your communication for that internal portion. Because I know that after I come home from therapy, I'm easier. It is easier for me to speak to Jason about what I was feeling when he did XYZ. Because you did that, it made me feel this way. While understanding I don't have the power to control what he does. I can just communicate how it made me feel. You would accept yourself a little bit more. You build your self-esteem when you learn that your story isn't doesn't define you. It isn't what people see when they look at you. Counseling can help you through that. Making sure that you can manage your emotions and better express your emotions in a healthy way. It's the difference between a temper tantrum and a short break. I have a five-year-old and a six-year-old at home, and when we say go to your room for five minutes, when they need to reset, they honestly both just start crying. And they walk to their rooms for five minutes, they set their timers on their Google, they walk back downstairs when they're done. That is their way of regulating themselves. Do we help? Of course. But we do not always save them because learning to go through the emotions fully and come to the other side of them yourself is such an important skill. And I don't think many of us adults in the 30 plus range ever learned that skill. Oh, you're feeling sad? Get happy. You're feeling scared? Don't be scared. Be brave. It was quell your emotions and act like you don't have any emotions affecting you. That's why it is so important to speak and act like emotions are okay in front of your children, your nieces, your nephews, any children you're around or young adults. Emotions are important and they are okay. We can say and we can wear the shirts and we can post on Facebook all day. We can write the songs. It's okay not to be okay. But until we actually live it, speak it, and show others that we're there to not be okay, it's just that. A t-shirt saying, a cliche post on Instagram. The last thing would be the relief that you would feel from the anxious thoughts, the depression, the bipolar, the, the grief, all the things that you might enter therapy for. It will help you through that and get acceptance through your mind of what's happening. And then give you tools to help you get through it. Communication is huge. And honestly, I've already said it. It took me a year 
to speak about it. That's how ashamed and guilty I felt. That is exactly why this podcast exists. So no one else has to feel like they can't share out their story because they're ashamed or feel guilty. Communicate. It'll help you. Tool number four for me is actually one that I haven't learned fully. I'm continuously getting better at, but has been something that has changed my life, my relationship with others, my marriage, the way I'm a parent. And I am speaking about boundaries. I used to be that yes person. Can, I, can you do this? Yep. You want to go here? Yep. You want to do this? Sure, sure can. Sure will. Always saying yes. And I never said no to anything. Which means everybody that would come to me understood that I would always say yes. So they kept coming. And I actually never learned to say no. Until I felt like it was maybe too late. You know the phrase when the straw that breaks the camel's back. That's what happened to me when I realized I needed to learn boundaries and form boundaries. Again, back to therapy and what that taught me about boundaries. Lisa Turkhurst is one of my favorite authors and I was introduced to her by my friend Kelsey with the book Forgiving What You Can't Forget. That was a life changer. Because I had always gone back to the things that I said yes to that I wish I had said no to. And those were the things that I was struggling to forgive. Then Lisa Turkhurst wrote a book called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. That book itself, it's very new. But it's allowed me to feel comfortable saying no to things. Keeping distance from situations that I really don't thrive in. And really hoping that at the end of the day, I'm proud of what I said yes to. I really try to make my decisions yeses and nos based on our family values and my personal values. We serve others. We believe in Jesus. We celebrate everything. and We love time together. For me, my boundaries focus on situations, events, and certain people. A quote from her book says, boundaries don't prevent me from being the best version of myself. Boundaries allow me to be the best version of myself. You know those people that when you enter a room with them, your heart just kind of drops to your stomach and you're like, oh, all right, just make it through. My question would be, why do you continuously show up when that person is there? When they invite you to something, why do you say yes? Guilt, shame, love for them. There's not a right or wrong answer here. But there are situations that we know we can be our best self in. 
and there are ones that make us feel inauthentic. For a while, I would set a boundary on anything that had to do with alcohol. After I had kids, I really struggled with drinking. I would get home from work. I would actually pump breast milk so that way I could feed my child, but then I could have a drink at the same time. I honestly get teary-eyed and emotional thinking about that because I was desperate for an escape and I didn't know how to ask. So a boundary I had to set back then was if there's going to be alcohol there, I need to say no. I stopped saying yes to happy hours and actually I didn't say no, I'd make an excuse. I can't because I have this. I can't because I need to go home to do this. Most of them were lies, but at the time, that's the best I had. You might be thinking, how do you form boundaries? What's the first step of even thinking about boundaries? And honestly, the first step is allowing yourself to do just that. Focus on yourself and keep yourself safe. Giving yourself that permission to become a priority will help you set and enforce your boundaries because we feel guilt and fear of negative responses that allows us to not keep our boundaries. But in the end, boundaries contribute to healthy relationships with others and make sure our self-respect and self-love are at the highest levels they can be. A big part of boundaries for me is listening to my gut instinct, what makes me feel safe, what makes me feel uncomfortable, and allowing yourself to change your boundaries as you grow and as your priorities might shift. An exercise that I actually had to do in therapy was drawing a circle on a piece of paper. And inside the circle, I had to write down everything that I needed to feel seen, heard, supported, and mostly safe. On the outside of that circle was what conflicts with all those things on the inside. So what do I need to feel seen and supported? Those were things like workout, rest, Bible study, time with myself, family dinners, certain things that I knew that I wanted to feel and be successful. And on the outside, for a while there, like I just said, it was alcohol, events with alcohol, certain people that I didn't want to be around, certain groups of people that I didn't want to be a part of, just because at the end of the day, it was like, hey, let's go to the get a drink. So you have to have limits. You have to be consistent. If you aren't sure where to start with boundaries, use a statement, I feel blank when blank, because blank. I feel sad when I'm talking to you and you don't listen and make eye contact with me because I don't feel like you are respecting my time. What I need is for you to look me in the eyes so I can know that you're listening and you hear me. That's a boundary. Be direct, very clear, and make them simple. 
And at the end of the day, remember, you're allowed to have boundaries to be the best version of yourself. Saying no is allowed. Last but not least, I want to talk about a morning routine. I never used to be the person that would wake up without an alarm at 4.45 in the morning. But that's the version that you're hearing today. On days that we're trying to quote unquote sleep in, it might be till 7 o'clock, even 6 o'clock feels like sleeping in to me now. I started with the morning routine actually when I was in my Rachel Hollis stage of life right after she wrote Girl, Wash Your Face. And then I kept reading her books, Girl, Stop Apologizing. And then a sister-in-law gave me the book Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein. And it was actually something that both of them would talk about as having a consistent morning routine. And for me, it was pretty easy to form one once I found what my priorities were. I know that for my mental health, I need to be moving my body. So my day always will start with a workout. I also know that I need to spend time with God every day and the best and most convenient time for me where I know I can prioritize it and stay consistent is in the morning. Those are two parts of my morning routine. But I wanted to just share how to form a morning routine. Set an alarm, a consistent every single day alarm. And if you're struggling to wake up to it, start there. Start by waking up and going to watch the news and grab a cup of coffee. Then the next day, wake up, throw on those workout clothes, get out your Bible, Put your gratitude journal on your table in the living room. The next little step. So keep building your little steps into what you want to do. My morning routine, I wake up, I journal, and I actually use the Start Today Journal by Rachel Hollis currently. So you write five things you're grateful for and you write your 10 goals for the day. And your 10 goals are statements that have already happened. So I write, I'm an affectionate wife. I'm a present mom. I'm a published author. I prioritize my workouts. I show gratitude daily. I am an active church volunteer. We eat dinner at the table as a family. We go on weekly date nights. I celebrate the little things and I'm a business owner. I can read, those are from my mind. I write them down every single day because that's the person I want to be. If it doesn't align with those goals, I don't do it. So starting my day with intention my intentions for who I want to be and how I want my day to go, allow me to fall back on those boundaries and say yes and no. Does it align with the vision I have for myself, my family, my marriage, my relationships, my friendships, my work life, my career, my spiritual life? Is all that going the way I want it to? Yes, because every single morning I write down those things exactly. Then 
I make sure to find a Bible study or maybe I do a Bible reading plan on an app. That's what I'm currently doing is a Bible reading plan for Lent on the Bible app. That's something that is an easier, more convenient way for me to do that. And if you're a working mom or working dad listening to this, you get it. You understand that the mornings are the time that maybe you have the most energy. And if you're a night person, do it at night. Set yourself up for the morning at night and still wake up early. Moving your body is so important. I speak about this often. I teach cycling here in West Fargo at Cycle Bar. And I've been recently talking about the chemical parts of your brain more during my workouts because we need to realize that cortisol, a stress hormone, is combated by dopamine. Cortisol is the opposite of dopamine. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. So take this with a grain of salt here. But dopamine is the chemical that floods your brain when you have success. If you've ever been to one of my cycle bar classes, you know what that feels like. If you've ever been to a workout group fitness class, maybe you've done a run, maybe you work out at home and you just feel good after. That's dopamine. That's why you start your day with it. You feel good. Gratitude, journaling, God, working out, drink the water, have the coffee. During Actually, during the 2020 shutdown of life, um, my husband and I were home with both kids. Our morning routine was to go get in the hot tub together. We're currently in a blizzard morning, so we probably won't be doing that very often right now. But finding the things that matter to you. Like I said earlier, one of our family values is tech time together. The hot tub for us is that. Jason and I don't bring in our phones. The kids don't bring in anything else but themselves. And we talk, they play. We get to just make memories as a family. Some people struggle with, well, how do I do a morning routine? How do I stick to it? Well, I have my journal set out on my desk every morning, every night for the morning. That way it's the first thing I do. I have a prayer journal that actually sits next to my sink, next to my devotion, my Jesus Calling for Mom's book on my sink. That way I know that I'm doing that. Working out is, I don't work out at home. I don't have the motivation and the willpower to do that. (laughs) So I head to the gym. And I do that in the morning too. Like I said, the Bible app is easier for me right now, but I have Bible study books that I'll dive into right after Lent. Your morning routine is what sets off your day. So prioritize that time. Prioritize your day going the way you want it to by making yourself that priority. Consistent morning routine. That would be tool number five. I want to thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate you. This podcast would not be possible without you. If you loved it, leave a review. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the places. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend. And don't forget to raise your voice.